0: This episode is exclusively sponsored by Manifest Commerce, helping merchants with earth-friendly e-commerce fulfillment.
1: You will need to do unscalable things, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, you will need to, like, shoot your shot, like, experiment, um, do, like, the unscalable things to find, like, the what's really going to be your pillar content you know like what's what's really going to to drive the needle because it's probably not going to be like exactly what you had in your content plan at the beginning of this year
0: if you're looking to up your startup marketing game, you're in the right place. This podcast will help you simplify, prioritize, and see big wins from your marketing efforts. Every week you'll hear from some of the world's best venture-backed startup founders, marketing leaders, and startup experts about marketing, brand, growth, what's working well, challenges, and how crazy and fun marketing can be when you're at a high-growth startup. See ya inside. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. I hope everybody is doing well. Today, we have Camille Trent on the podcast. She is head of content at Dooley. She's also an advisor for Swipely, and prior to Dooley, she was managing editor at Marketer Hire. She also, prior to that, was the founder and lead copywriter of her own company, Camille Trent Consulting. So more about Dooley, Dooley has raised Series B, $102.3 million, and it was founded in 2016, has about 87 people, and is based out of Vancouver in Canada. And let me see if I could give a little blurb about Dooley. Camille, go ahead and correct me if I miss anything. But the big problem that Dooley's solving is that there's only one third of sellers are actually hitting quota. I'm sure that has also had, you know, significant challenges during COVID times, and so imagine you had the best instincts from every person across the revenue team to help you close deals, so you could hit your numbers. Duly helps sales teams to do that. Right? It's a connected workspace. It helps revenue teams win more deals without having to wait on Salesforce. And a quick question that I have there. It makes sense that it, you know, sales teams work very heavily with dually. As far as the revenue team, is the marketing team also part of the platform or part of the experience?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I would say marketing marketers can benefit like quite a bit from it. I personally like use it for my own note taking and meetings. It's just like an easy way to keep me focused and make sure that everything that happens in that meeting gets captured somewhere. And then it's connected to actual meeting where it happened. That being said, I definitely think that salespeople and true like revenue team members in the sense of like, you know, they're part of the sales, they're part of the traditional sales team are going to get the maximum value out of it. So I put it that way, like they're going to get the maximum value. Marketers still benefit. CS actually benefits quite a bit too. So you think about that as like, you know, sales part two, right? Is like retaining customers, like, and the retention and those relationships, like, those are huge for everything that goes on in the business, right? Like in them being advocates and them helping you with your customer stories, which helps marketing. Like a lot of what we talk about is it's all connected or it should be, right? Like your entire team your entire revenue team and really your entire business should have visibility in into what's going on and so and have access to that data. And so duly just like make sure that everything gets captured and that proper handoffs are happening. So for instance, we have you know templates that help SDRs hand off to AEs and then separate ones for AEs to hand off to CS, right? And so it just makes sure that there's some process in the sales process because it's so fast, right? Um, and to be like a great, a great sales rep, there is like some Velocity in it, especially like in commercial sales, and so making sure that like you're following up, that you like know to follow up, right, and that everything's getting captured, and that your entire day isn't just updating Salesforce. And so that was one thing that um that really attracted me to it is they're basically rejecting this idea that to be a great sales rep that you need to work like eighty, hundred hours a week, which was kind of like there's a big culture around this, right, of like hustle and grind, right, and like yeah, you, you have to just like be working weekends, like be up all night, like, like doing those things. And and those things can make a difference. But we're saying like, that doesn't have to be your life. Like you should have a life like outside of work. And, and we want to make sure that you have more of those moments. Right. And so I did like a case study the other day where I was like a little bit like, it was embarrassing, but I was like a little bit tearing up And that uh, one of the reps we talked to used used Dually, And he was like, I was able to go to like my daughter's um, like horseback riding lesson for the first time. Like I was able to leave it for like not have my Salesforce block and just like enjoy life. And then you know his coworker said the same thing. Is able to like go golfing um, sometimes. And so so that's kind of like why I would say we do what we do.
0: I love that. What a nice story too, right? And what like there's a purpose there too for why you exist that goes beyond just the tool, using the tool and how it makes you better. There's like lives that you impact. So that's really cool. We just jumped right into Dooley, didn't we? Let's let's step back. I just want to say thank you for being on here. And I also want to ask you, and I really value your content on LinkedIn. And I think that you're doing some cool things at Dooley with content marketing. So what does marketing mean to you? What does marketing mean to you? And what does content mean to you? Is it are they the same? How are they different? How do they relate to each other? I'd love to hear that.
1: Yeah, so basically I'll start with content. So I just posted something yesterday actually I'm um, talking about this. So content is like is communication at the end of the day, right? Like you're trying to communicate to the market. And to do that well, you have to really understand that market. So that now we're kind of like zooming back out into what is marketing, right? And if you just break it down like Market, like you you, you know, like just knowing about your market, understanding like your audience, right? And then being able to get from point A to point B by connecting the two. Like here's us, here's us, here's our product, and like this this problem that we solve. And then here's uh the audience, right? And like how do you connect those two things? And when done right, like it starts at the business level. It starts at like before the business was a business, there was a problem. And somebody probably in the market or close to the market saw that problem and had an idea for how to how to connect it how to bridge that gap like between the problem like and the audience like with their solution so marketing is communicating a message to the market about the problem that you solve about the product your problem solves some other definitions that i like that i'll also just throw out is marketing is what makes sales easier right like that's the simple cut and dry like definition like marketing is what makes sales easier so i like that one a lot i like that it's just the market right it's just really like a deep understanding of the market and being able to to connect that to your product because your product came from the market to begin with
0: so interesting that you posted about this and it was in your thoughts yesterday. So very timely. Maybe this has been on your mind too. Like, what would you say are the big marketing or content trends that you're seeing a lot of today that you'd recommend, like, founders or marketing leaders at startups really pay attention to or really start exploring if they haven't already?
1: Yeah. So I think some big ones are community and i think that can be slack channels and i think that can be social but knowing that word of mouth is the strongest form of marketing like just understanding that like at, at a deep level like we trust other people more than we trust companies like it seems it seems simple but what does that actually mean for marketers it's that The fact that these conversations about your product, about your competitors' products, about their problems, like these are all happening in private messages, they're happening in social, uh, they're happening in communities. Like just understanding like where where that decision-making process happens. It's happening like well before people are solution aware right it's like when they're kind of like feeling the pain right or they're they're kind of like problem aware right that they're having like these conversations like i think about all the touch points before like i started using clickup for instance right it's like a project management solution so i posted like on social i think like a few times of like different people's or what's your favorite project management tool you know looked through the comments and stuff um talked to different people about it talked to like automation specialists on like what tools that they like using and why like which are the easiest to use like I did this for months, you know what I mean, before I like made a decision and use different tools and things. And so thinking about just how you buy things um, and then sort of backing that into your marketing strategy, if you are the target market, if you're not, then spending a lot of time reaching out to your target demographic, your target audience to ask them like how just where they are, you know, what's their day to day look like? What are they in? Who do they talk to? Who do they respect? Right. Who are like influenced influencers to them? And then knowing like, okay, this is our distribution strategy then, right? Like this is where they are. So we know that, but now what do they like? What type of content do you like? And, and I think, you know, what podcasts they listen to, like what YouTubers, like they follow who they consider an influencer. You can start there to see like, oh, you know, this influencer is posting about this type of topic. They have this type of style that can give you some insights into what your style should be if you're going to properly communicate to those people. Or I've even noticed like, yeah, the difference between like long form and short form, like with different audiences, like some some audiences preferring long form, some preferring short form video versus the tech. So just understanding how people like to consume their content and what they like to be in that content.
0: What have you found in terms of Dooley's target audience, probably salespeople, revenue, revenue teams, right? Salespeople. What kind of content do they like?
1: That's a great question. So every time that someone reaches out and is like, hey, like I love the content at Dooley, especially if it's from anyone in sales, like specifically in the revenue team. I'll ask, you know, what content like do you love so far? What is it about Dooley, for instance, that you that you like? And so, a couple insights that I've noticed are then some of which are are sometimes like surprising, but like memes. Like I've had like specific people be like, "I love the memes," like when they really are like about a, especially specific things, like a specific pain point that only a salesperson would understand. Like those ones do really well. And then, yeah, it's just like super actionable tips, right? And so when it's it's very like choppy copy, like X, Y, and Z guided selling, basically. When it's that kind of content, they gravitate toward that. And then I would say kind of the third thing and sort of a shout out to Gong for championing this, but like data backed content, right? And so having like the data points for what works well, across the board right like there's there's so many like false positives i guess in sales right where it's like okay this one subject line worked this one time <laughs> or like we got this account like off this kind of like a fluky thing right and so a lot of the stuff can be helpful for one team or helpful for one person, but not necessarily applicable to everyone. So anytime that you're able to shortcut like the process of them having to do all the research and you just bring them all the research of like, hey, like there's statistical significance to this and that like this tactic works really well and you're able to break down why it works. Those three things uh, I think I've noticed um, people really like. And I guess the fourth one (laughs) is video content in general. general, I think just That's across the board. I think this isn't just salespeople. Like you're seeing, you know, TikTok do well for a reason, and audio. I I would put in there too, like podcasts doing well for a reason. But I I would also say that I've had like specifically people say like the music videos like um, are fun, and so they like the just there being like a sense of humor, people not taking themselves too seriously in the content. I would say it's definitely a sales thing too.
0: Two things that I just thought of as you were talking through, like the content that does well, I think that there's something to be said around like when you're working with salespeople that are a lot of them are are very much like, well, their leaders are data driven, but sometimes the actual salespeople are very much like, yeah, that felt right, that felt good, (laughs) right, and may not be so data driven, but and some of them don't even use like they're giving their sales pitch, right? They're not even using slides because they just like, it's in their head and like they know and, and it comes from their gut and they're so passionate and all that stuff. But when you bring like the data, bring them research, they're like, oh yeah, that's the part that I'm missing and I really should make it part of why I do what I do. So I think that's the value that data backed stuff brings to that role. So I think that's awesome. The other thing I was gonna say, when you're looking at content, what's working well, and what your audience likes, how do you balance the qualitative one-off? Like, oh, I really like the memes," versus the quantitative. How do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So always like a work in in progress, I guess, to find that exact balance. But I would say you want to have that data backed information, but also have be like a lifestyle brand. Like I've said in the past, like you don't need to be a B2C company or even like a lifestyle type company to have a lifestyle type brand. And so that's always been important to dually specifically, you know, to feel like a lifestyle brand and going back to the benefit that we promise is like giving you like more you time, right? And being able to have more time to sell like to do to hit your numbers, like to do the data stuff, but then balancing that out with like the home life. And so so I think having that sort of be like a reflection in the content that we create too is like the life that we want you to have. Like we want you like hit your numbers when we want you to, you know, like hit all your professional goals, but then also hit all of your personal goals. And so so to me it's kind of like lining it up with the time of day or the time of year. Right. Like if there's Holidays around, if it's like the weekend, um, you know, leaning into that a little bit. And so I tend to use like Fridays, for instance, for memes. Like there's not, I'm not like opposed to doing it other days, but just kind of like realizing what mode people are in at a um, certain time of day and a certain time of year, doing that. And it's kind of like a, might be like a 50-50 balance and that that we lean strongly like into brand and that's worked well and we're, you know, series B. And so knowing our stage and like knowing that there's still like a big awareness and brand play that, that needs to happen to really saturate the market. So we need a lot of that content. Um, but then, you know, balancing it out with, I would say like thought leadership and then like um, stats backed content. So it's a bit of a split. And then the other part, is just uh, lining it up with what what mode people are in at a certain time and meeting them where they are.
0: When I was referring to like using qualitative comments from people, like really love your memes and like a comment here and there on LinkedIn, like, yeah, they're really engaging with that stuff. How do you balance like looking at the qualitative feedback based on the content performance? That's But you kind of answered it a little bit. That's also great. Like I love that answer too. Like how do you use your data to or not, right, when you're thinking about placing the content out there. So you're using Fridays for memes and like what mode are people in? So it's a 50-50 balance. But when you think about the impact of your content, how do you analyze
1: yeah, so just putting, you know, proper attribution in place, you're never gonna get hundred percent attribution. But following what you do get um, and listening to sales calls, because there's a lot that that might be lost otherwise. Like, you know, attribution software is is gonna definitely lean lean heavily on organic and direct like type searches because a lot of people know the name duly without necessarily knowing exactly like what we do, which is good on the brand side. So realizing that I think is is like, okay, we're doing well on the brand side, like Maybe we can shift more focus to like more bottom of funnel content, right? So playing that game of like knowing when to balance. But the things that I look at, um, which I think is part of your question, is going into Google Analytics, looking at how long people are on a certain page. And that's kind of, that tells me what type of content they like. So for instance, like here's an example of like the the meme content. We even did like a meme blog of just kind of like the best of, we're like, we've done a bunch of these, let's do like um, the best of. And people stayed on that page for a long time. Right. And then, and so looking at those things, but then also looking at there's other content that's about, you know, how to be a top performer, what are the habits of a top performer? That content also does really well. So, things that I look at in terms of qualitative that I'm always trying to work out because everybody has the same question is, on some of the posts, like looking at who's actually liking the content, right? Like, is it a bunch of marketers? Because sometimes it is marketers, right? And that's great. Um, And they can benefit from the product too, but like, that's not our ICP. And so, so not being too um, rose colored glasses because of the vanity metrics. So I'll go inside, I'll look at, okay, who's actually liking these posts and when it's, sales leaders and like AEs, then like I put more stock like in those types of results, right? So that's one way that you can kind of vet social, which is a harder thing to vet, right? And also looking at the engagement, like what types of things are people posting? Are they posting like questions? Are they posting like valuable comments there? and reading into that and then sales calls. So I'll listen to sales calls and we'll hear things like, okay, I was listening to this podcast that you sponsor. Right. And then like, that's how I heard of you. I listened to this, uh, this event that you guys like sponsor, I went to this event and that's how I heard about you. And, um, like noting those things and like building those kind of like into your attribution capture I guess you know if you have a drop down like having those things included or if you're doing like a write-in just knowing that it's going to be a little bit more work on the back end but at least you'll know everything like people can can list multiple sources so I don't have like a, a great answer but that's kind of like how I think about the qualitative pieces of it
0: tied together with the quantitative and how you kind of build that full story instead of just relying on the attribution software. Awesome. Thank you for explaining that. All right. So I want to know what's happening with Dooley's Fire Talks. I remember, I mean, you're t- you're telling me like marketing, that's great if you're engaging with our posts. Well, I was probably one of those marketers engaging because I was like, this is super cool. You're getting marketing leaders, right? You're getting CMOs to come and talk on these Fire Talks. They're talking about like Q&A, right? Sales Q&A, eating spicy salsa, like it was very entertaining. So what happened to those? Where are those fire talks going into the future?
1: Yeah, well, I can tell you that if you happen to go to Saster this year, there was like a resurgence of Fire Talks there. I'll try and make sure to get you that episode after it. But we did do kind of a, a soft launch there of Fire Talks again for season two, where we had like a live panel there, people eating spicy wings. I think it was the, the CMO from Calendly and Loom, I want to say. So we had some good leaders there and like a really good discussion. And then, yeah, I can tease like that there there will be a season two.
0: Awesome. Okay, looking forward to some spicy talks there. It's interesting, though, you do bring on CMOs to have these conversations. Is that because it's just the revenue team, right? It's because marketing and sales, they're part of the revenue team. So that's why you need kind of both sides,
1: yeah, going back to like, what is marketing, right? Like, again, like marketing is still to make sales easier, right? And is part of the revenue team. So uh, yeah, marketing, CS, sales, like all part of the revenue team. So I think it's that and then it's, um, it's the relationships there as well. So for instance, for one of them, we had the CMO, but then we also had AEs, you know, and we'll have We'll try and bring like actually the whole revenue team as, as many people that we can get from the revenue team that are able to come. Like that that makes it a full experience. And it just goes back to some of our positioning about just the connected revenue team like this vision that we have of like truly like connecting the revenue team making sure everyone's talking together everyone's on the same page and how we have a workplace that does that like just being able to do that in fire talks like as a sort of visualization of that and it was kind of a cool idea that mark had from the beginning
0: yeah love that okay so let's talk about I brought up fire talks, but I know that there's more brewing and more that you guys have done in terms of marketing content. Can you talk a little bit about like how you think about your content strategy, how you've kind of set it up and what has worked well from that setup um, thus far? Like what content across what channels has really driven sales for Dooley? Yeah, that's a good question. So I would say that when I came in, they already had a very strong
1: brand. So it's leaning to what is already working, right? And so we're in the stage where it's um, sort of just like adding fuel to the fire a little bit of expanding, like creating processes. So like our LinkedIn, like LinkedIn was doing really well. Um, and like you said, mentioned like fire talks um, had been doing well, but they had ended um, season two. So um, so yeah, so it was talks of like what needed to happen for us to to do that just as well, if not better for season two. So, so it's that, but then on the LinkedIn side, it was like, yeah, how can we have a little bit more process with, um, with posting and how can we post um, post even more? And then also leverage the other channels like within LinkedIn that we sponsor to make sure that we have top content there. So I would say one kind of, and I love the word hack, but like one sort of hack was, okay, can I sometimes use our channel, um, which gets less reach than personal and less reach than some of these other channels that we're sponsoring? Can I use that and my personal channel as like a testing grounds, which is essentially just what I do anyways, um, for for my own content, but um, thinking about that at the company level. So here's two examples. I'll post like a meme on our channel and maybe it'll be like on a Friday or Saturday and stuff. So it's kind of like bonus days, bonus content, if you think about it that way. And then if it does well, like I'll promote it to one of these other um, pages that we're sponsoring or I'll think about maybe how we can use it as an ad or use it as other type of content. Then we'll think like, you know, what did well about this, right? So that's an example. And then another one is like I posted, first off, I noticed that like teardowns were doing really well, right? Both in marketing companies, content and sales content anytime that you can break down why something works because you can copy someone else's template but in sales like that's really not going to work because it's not personalized right and so how do you teach someone like sales copywriting you know or teach someone personalization like a lot of it's research and a lot of it is um not templatable. And so I think teardowns are like the better way to do that. And so, you know, shout out to like Will from Lavender. He does a good job with this. So saw that some of this content was doing well in the sales world and was thinking about, you know, topics um, and like how we could take that idea and expand on it. So started doing some webinars like that we're taking that idea, but that we're walking through it live. Right. And so we did that with like we did an outbound teardown so we called it. And so we had like an outbound teardown about email. We had one specifically about video email. Like notice, like attendance was and engagement was really high on that. And so leaning into that for future content. So planning some other webinars based on that. Like a lot of marketing is just doubling down on what's already working, right? Like finding a few things that work and trying not to get distracted. is like so much of the job. So I posted the other day, like a good email. I've been keeping a swipe file, right? Of like all the emails, all the outbound emails that I'd gotten and, and taking notes of like, whether or not I opened them or not, so I took a screenshot of one that like I did respond to, and that I did intro him to like someone else on the team, like furthered it along like within the same day. And so realizing that that's content, <laughs> like just having a little like switch in your brain that like everything is content, taking a screenshot of that, posting it on social. Did well. And so then I'm like, okay, I'll use this for the company page too, but I'll take it a step farther and I'll like highlight the parts that work. So it's just iterating on, I think on what's working, but even before that step, understanding your audience to like, to be in the ballpark, right. Of like something like within this ballpark, like not this entire park, but like this fenced off portion is going to do well. And I'm not going to have like a hundred percent, um, batting average, um, cause nobody does. Right. But realizing that like, a 30%, you know, batting average is pretty good. (laughs) And so, so that's kind of what it is. And then like, you know, when you do hit, it's like, okay, why did this hit? And sort of like digging into that and promoting those things, like amplifying the content that works. Because sometimes we just stop, we're like, wow, that was great that we did this blog that did well, you know, but then not digging into it and not creating more content around it, just starting from scratch again, when really like, if you have a few things that are working, just do more of that.
0: That's a great message to double down on what works. And the fact that when you came into Dooley, you're leaning in to what's already working. And yes, you do have that testing ground. And I like the example you gave with like bonus content you're putting out there on LinkedIn, but there's plenty that you've seen works, right? And so how can you do more of that? And how can you bring that into your strategy? Is that kind of like your strategy? Like, let's take a look at what's working already. Do a little like, separate a little bit of testing, right? We're going to do like 10 to 20% testing, but then really how do we build this out? How do we amplify? How do we create more content around that? Is that how you think about your content strategy?
1: No, I think that's, I think that's a pretty good summary, depending on how much is already working or how much content you already have will tell you like what percentage of your content I think should be testing ground and what percentage of it should be like, again, like doubling down on what's working. Right. And so, you know, if you're an early stage company, which, you know, I'd say that we're still fairly early compared to like the oracles of the world, right. Or the apples of the world. And so knowing that, like, you know, that there's just going to be a lot of testing involved, there is going to. To be like a lot of okay here's the ballpark like we've narrowed it down but like we still have to make different plays here and like see what works and so so yeah if if you're early on know that it's going to be more in that testing phase and for instance like I like that and so I sort of like gravitate toward that type of stage but there's also something to be said for like later on you're going to have like this huge repository of content and it's just it's going through all of that and it's sifting and it's seeing like where people are spending the most time on your site like you know where people are following you what type of content they're engaging with. And that part is fun too. That's like the optimized stage. So realizing where your company is and having that direct your content
0: strategy. Wonderful. Okay. So how big is the team, your content team? Like how big is your team and what's sort of like, I bet it's lean, right? Cause it's a startup still, (laughs) although series B, how big is the team and how do you create like a system to get content out?
1: Yeah. Well, so for a long time, it was like just Mark. And then earlier this year, is that right? Yeah. Earlier this year, I want to say he added Sam. So Sam was like higher number two as a producer showrunner and partly for fire talks and partly for social and stuff. And so, and then everyone else was, was added this year too. So, so we've grown like fairly, fairly rapidly, um, but it's all been in a year. So it's just like this, this rapid expansion. So we're all fairly new.
0: And how many people is it?
1: eight, like in the marketing department and make sure I get that right. So Mark, Sam, me, Zoe, Kyle.
0: She's using her fingers for people that can't see.
1: (laughs) Yeah, counting (laughs) it up. Yeah, it's about eight. And then with content specifically, we all work together and like pretty much everyone is on every project, right? And the content team, it's me, Kyle and Sam. And so, and the way that it's kind of split out is like Sam, it like runs point with events and but she also, she helps with other things too, some social. And then Kyle like runs point with life cycle marketing, um, but specifically like email is a big portion of that. Copywriting is a big portion of that. And so, so we all work together, but there's like three right now, um, full time on the content team.
0: Okay. And so that's pretty lean. Is there anything like unique you do to create a sort of system, like how to get all this content out on a daily, weekly basis? Like what's your approach to make it doable?
1: I'll say it's definitely just a work in progress, just because first off, there's always more content to create. It doesn't matter if you're an enterprise or a startup, there is always more content to create. But especially when you are a startup, there is like a lot of content to create. And so so it's just a matter of prioritization. I wouldn't say that I've nailed this at this point, but um, a lot of what the focus is for me right now is some of that bottom of funnel content, right? Like we have a lot of customer stories, like we've done a lot of interviews. So it's translating that into content that we can use and working closely like with the CS team and the sales team to get them content that can help them progress deals.
0: Awesome. Okay, cool. What would you say are the challenges on the content side? Like what are you trying to figure out these days? And maybe you've mentioned a little bit, but I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah,
1: so it's scaling in general. So we'd move to a different project management system, which has been good to be able to sort of track things at the task level. But amplifying that, like adding in like systems and templates there um, for if we do a project once, like how can we save that as a template so that we can like repeat the, the project the same, if not better, like every time. And so having templated formats for for similar campaigns that we run. So G2 would be like a good example. We knew what, what worked for the last G2 campaign. And so following like a similar format of, okay, like having this type of asset and having these types of assets for people to share, like gets us the maximum leverage of like having some fun content, right? But like having some serious content too. And so jotting down all of the assets that are going to be needed every time. So those types of processes and like templates, um, I think are really helpful in scaling content. And then also just finding like the right freelancers and the right partners. Right. And so that's also been like a focus too, is like finding, finding really good writers and finding really good designers are going to like kind of make or break your content. It's, I mean, it starts with a strategy. You need to get that right too. But from a content perspective, like the style makes a big difference. I think, especially for our brand where people are expecting like a Specific type of um, feel, right? A specific type of voice, um, making sure that we get that right. But yeah, at at the stage that we're at too, it's partly, I'm going to go against, like, you should do these things. You should start doing the processes. You should start talking to freelancers early because, like, you're not going to get the most out of them or they're not going to be fully ramped for a few months. And so, realizing to to start that process before you actually need it. So, doing all those things, but also realizing at the early stage or just startup phase in general that you will need to do unscalable things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you will need to like shoot your shot, like experiment, um, do like the unscalable things to find like the, what's really gonna be your pillar content. You know, like what's what's really going to, to drive the needle because it's probably not gonna be like exactly what you had in your content plan at the beginning of this year.
0: Oh my gosh, speaking of unscalable things, the first thing that popped into my head right now is I saw a video clip on LinkedIn Patrick Campbell, I don't know if you have heard of him. He's the CMO of ProfitWell. And he posted a video clip that's him repeating the word churn, I think, 200, 100,000 times. I might be botching that number, but you can just imagine how unscalable, like you're not going to do that every single time, right? But it's an experiment. It's an experiment. They created a little like video around it. He's saying the word churn. Like that is a word that is extremely important in what they do and what problem they're trying to fix, right? It's not scalable, but it is experimenting. And that's how you figure out what's going to, you know, what's actually working with your content. So
1: quick thing on that, if I can, so social is like a good example of a lot of social content relies on you being like really close to your market and you're also, well enough to even see the trends, right? Seeing like when everyone, a good example, cold timing has been like all over LinkedIn as like just this thing that we're all talking about in like the revenue space. So realizing that that's happening because you are invested in community and you're invested in social and then being able to jump on that when it does happen, like that was something that we did recently, not scalable, you know what I mean? Like it's not something that's like, Maybe with the right AI triggers or whatever that will social listen and we'll hear this thing and then we'll we'll pop out some some copy that like works. But in general, like a lot of like social is one day at a time, um, which is good and bad, right, is you can crush it like one day and then you can like bomb the next day. So a lot of it is just like showing up and having like that tone of voice. And that's like a really hard thing to scale right like it's personal like it's in the moment and that's why it works and so at the beginning i think not even trying to to scale it so much until you have a flow like until you have momentum there so that's like another one that i'll throw out but i love the churn example like that's perfect
0: the churn example i also totally botched that he's ceo of profit well and the reason i thought cmo was because he does marketing so well Right. So that's actually a compliment to you, Patrick. Sorry about that. The other thing I, I love that you say that it's like showing up and taking it day by day on social is so important because sometimes it's winner, whatever you're posting, sometimes it's a clear flop. And I follow people that have way more followers than I do. Like I'm at 3000 plus followers. And then there's people with like 20,000, 30,000, 70,000 followers. And still I take a look and it's like, who engaged with your post? 10 people. Like that happens, right? And that's going to happen no matter how many followers. You just show up, take it day by day. And over time, you should see a trend generally, right, of people that, you know, love the stuff you're posting or getting value from it. Let's talk about your copywriting skills, Camille, right? Because so you write web copy that works. That's something that I saw on your profile, but it's also something that I truly believe you do know how to write good copy. What does works mean? When you say I write web copy that works, what does works mean? And can you give an example of copy you've written that works?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I heard, I think, Eddie Schleiner talk about, like, how he'll cringe, like, at stuff that he wrote, like, a couple months ago, right? Like, the goal is to always be getting better. So it's, like, even that, like, I might rewrite that at this point, because I was, like, probably a couple of years ago now. But, like, I would say the, like, meaning behind it, what I was going for was it gets results, right? Like it works for your purposes because different people have different purposes uh, with their website, with their messaging, their copy in general, right? So it could just be trying to get awareness. It could be trying to get someone signed up for this event, right? It could be getting the sale like right then and there. So it works for like whatever you're trying to accomplish, right? Mm -hmm. That it's more than pretty words. And so I'm very anti like, hire a copywriter to fill in the blanks, right? Or hire a copywriter to clean this up, right? Or like make this pretty or whatever. So that's really not what it is. Like a lot of it is reaffirmed like every year that I'm in this business, but it's so much more like curation um, than it is net new, something that just like popped into your brain, right? Like it's digging into what people, you know, have already said. So a lot of, for instance, a homepage would be social proof, right? Like a a successful homepage, I think for a lot of SaaS companies, a lot of any type of company is like relying on that person's peers, right? Like they want to know if what you're selling works for them, right? And so proving like that... Your service works and that people have gotten results for it, like, is a lot of the lift. And so, not trying, I think, to some degree, like, not trying to make something pretty or not trying to make something clever, but to construct like a good argument using proof. So I've said before that like copy is just like persuasive writing basically, right? Whereas like content writing is more the facts, like journalistic writing. And so knowing that, going into it of really believing in in whatever you are writing about is I think the first step. Because then when I do, then it's easier to make copy because you're passionate about like that argument and you're, you're able to advocate for it in a way that you can't if you don't believe in it. So yeah, so I think it's just it's piecing together the best um, arguments that you can make or the best proof like that you can give for that service.
0: It's a great answer. Can I ask a question going back to it? Sorry, I'm kind of jumping around here. But how do you find good writers? Like you had mentioned that it's hard and right, it's a challenge finding the right writing freelancers. What have you guys done that has worked, I guess more so or have you not cracked that nut? Because I'm just curious, like, what site do you use? Do you ask around? Like, it's hard. And then do you have to find someone that has the industry expertise or just knows how to write well? Like, what's your approach?
1: yeah this is a it's a great topic i talked to brooklyn nash who's now like a full-time freelance writer but he was at sales hacker too so we talk a lot about this subject but okay so it's a combination of things like honestly like the one thing that i look for is and it's fairly easy to find like in social is you gravitate toward someone's like style of writing right for whatever reason and it could be that they're very like concise it could be that they're very like abrupt could be that they're fun and you find like a style that kind of matches what you're looking to accomplish so so, for instance, there are people that I would hire specifically for you know SEO writing that maybe I wouldn't hire them for other projects. And there, are, you know, some people that I, I'm like, oh, this person I know would do well at social. I'm not sure if they would do well at the other. I think like the best thing is to do like a test project, do like a paid test project. I should clarify, like if you're reaching out to that person, I think you should have some confidence like in in their abilities, and they've probably shown it to some degree. Like they're posting on social, they're showing their other work that they've done. They have other work samples, so they're professionals. So you need to like treat it as them, like one, just like as humans, (laughs) what you would want. Right. And as a freelancer, I liked getting paid, but I was also very like willing to like put in the work and like show, um, that I, would, you know, do deadlines on time that I could replicate like that style for them. And so I think you just test the waters. You do a test project, you do a paid like test project and that can do two things. Like one, it can make sure that the type of writing that you liked from them before, if you read one of their blogs or if you read some other work that they've done and you give them a blog to do, that they can replicate that and that they are reliable. Because that's like another part two of this. You like the writing, they can write, but they also need to be able to like deliver on time and be like a good person to work with. Like that's the other like half, I guess, that I look for. So you're testing out both of those things. And then you can also test, okay, like, can you do another style of writing too? Like maybe want to see if, sorry, if they can do, yeah, social writing or if they can do sales enablement type piece. So you can test out all of those things. So that's kind of the process. Um, And then if you find someone that you really like and that fits both of those things, know that that is somewhat rare to find someone who is like super reliable and really good at what they do and easy to work with all of those things um, and and then you know treat it as like a, a relationship of investing in it um, doing extra work up front to get the processes in place and the things that they need for it to be a good work environment. So that's kind of how I go about it. But it's really just yeah, finding or looking out for these things like on social or on the blogs that I'm reading, like I'll screenshot like, oh, I really liked this piece. Like I'm going to take a screenshot so that I know who the author was. Right. Um, or I'll bookmark certain posts, you know, if someone's breaking down their process, I'll bookmark that. Or another thing I've been doing recently is like if somebody I really respect, like a few of my friends, I like their content programs. And if they're commenting on some, on a, a copywriter or a content writer's post and be like, I love working with you, you know? <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're using this person. Like, that's probably someone that I should look into working with as well. And you can even go back and see if you can find their work. But those are a few different, I guess, tips and tricks that I do.
0: Thank you. That is so helpful. This is just like, I think a lot of folks have this challenge. If it's, you know, me, you, I'm sure there's like listeners to the show that will want to also know, like, how do you actually crack this nut. It's not easy because I found that the person that knows how to write really long form content like blog articles may do horribly on short, you know, very short snippets on social media. That's what I found. So it really just depends on like what specifically you're looking for. And doing a test project is a paid test project is really a really smart move. So thank you for sharing all that. Do you want to bring your son on? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it sounds like he's been kind of out and about the room, but he's welcome to also come onto the show and say hello if you want.
1: Yeah, he has strong personalities either way, so we'll see if he's in the mood.
0: Yeah, he's very welcome to come on here and we can hear his voice. Listeners won't be able to see it, how cute he is, but I will, so it's a selfish thing. Hey Teddy, do you want to come here? Hey Teddy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's got an apple Hi.
0: snack. Hi. Oh, my goodness. What's that? Appadat. Appadat. What's that? It's Apple He's got an apple snack, yes. Oh, mm. apple snack. <laughs> you're super cute. Love this. I should do more of this. Like, when you're working from home, bring your kids on the show and have them talk about What's on their mind? (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Camille. I loved this chat. I got to dig into some really good topics here. I think they're going to be really useful. They're useful for me. They're going to be useful for the uh, listeners of the show and I had so much fun. I just love talking content and what you're working on, what what dooley's up to. So thank you so much. If anybody wants to reach Camille, you can find her on LinkedIn, Camille Hanson Trent. And you can find out more about Dooley by going to dooley.ai. I want to also pull in a fire, like a link to the Fire Talks, because I think that those are super creative and engaging. And I think people might want to see what what those are all about if they haven't heard of them. So Camille, once again, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for bringing me on.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Firmanov or go to my website, firmanoffmarketing.com. Thanks for listening.